It is episode 66, and for some reason, all I could think of was Route 66 or U.S. Highway 66. They call it the Will Rogers Highway, and uh, a very famous highway that goes from California all the way out to the Midwest. And I could certainly Google this and cheat, but I believe it ends in Chicago, so the long route 66. I think you're going to like this episode. One great thing during this pandemic, and my guest today, Shukri Wrights, who is just a, a terrific guy, I met Shukri during the pandemic. I got this email, I don't know if it was because I do a podcast, and it was if you wanted to be a guest on a podcast, and I actually saw Shukri in his podcast on there. I emailed him, reached out, he had me on. This was back, I believe, in May. And I thought I would turn the favor here, especially in honor of Black History Month. And you can watch this video as well on YouTube. So you can watch the podcast on my YouTube channel. Just search Mike Antonellis. But so Shukri and I met because of the pandemic, because we do podcasts, because we have a passion for radio, because we have a passion for sports. He is originally from Philly, he's lived in New York, and he has an unbelievable story on how he got to Boston. This is a New York guy who fell in love with this city. He's very emotional during this, which I love because I'm the same way. He just lets it all out there. And um, terrific person who I hope to have a friendship with forever. And and uh, we, we just really bonded well, and I, I really like this guy a lot, and I, I feel like he's going to be successful. Remember to smash that like. Subscribe to the podcast behind the mic. Powered by Anchor FM. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, um, Snapface. Like Bill Belichick says, it's everywhere. We're going to be launching a podcast uh, webpage, too, through WordPress. And that's all coming up. Want your uh, feedback on the podcast as well. Make sure to, to rate it on iTunes, please. We have a lot of you that listen on iTunes. Rate it. Um, you know, I want to um, get tons of followers, tons of stars. Twitter's at the Radio Mike. Send me a direct message. Slip in the DMs. Find me on Facebook. Email. Write it all down. You can hit pause. Antonellis.michael at gmail.com. Shukri Writes is episode 66. Enjoy. Okay, Shukri, well, you had me on your podcast, and uh, I enjoy following you and all your progress, so I thought, hey, a better guest on my podcast could not be anyone else but you, so thanks for joining me. <laughs> Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. When I did the podcast with you sometime last spring, and I'm even struggling to remember when exactly <laughs> it was. Why is it bothering me? I don't know. But um, I just I just thought to myself, you said, you know, what better way to use this opportunity? I mean, we're all locked down at that time to, you know, reach out, you know, do a podcast, you know, interview different guests across the, the sports media industry. And um, it's always very humbling when someone asks me to come on their podcast as that's happened yeah. on numerous uh, occasions and so forth. And uh, and thank you for having me on. It's um, I can't wait. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've seen, I think, a birth of, of something really nice that's been happening during the pandemic, because now with the technology, I, I've been saying, why haven't I used Zoom before this? First of all, oh yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, I don't know why I didn't think of doing interviews, especially for my baseball background and for doing talk shows like yourself. But so, so yeah. many of us are doing this now. But what I have found is, so many of us are now connecting. I've I've made so many friends during this pandemic. Friends 
in the business. And it's nice that we're all doing each other's podcasts because we all need that support. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the one of the great lessons from this pandemic, and this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but take talk about taking a positive from a horrific negative. One of the few negatives, positives rather, excuse me, that I take from this is that it's this pandemic has shown me and taught me the importance of getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. I feel like between pre-pandemic and now, over the course of an, of what's been now a year now, I have grown so much as a person, as a broadcaster, as a radio host, and so forth, that it's it's enabled me to have the confidence to be able to, you know, stand on my own two feet and be comfortable in my own skin. I think that in itself it's what's really important in you being a play-by-play broadcaster, you understand the importance of being comfortable in your own skin. And me as a, as a national uh, radio host and broadcaster, it's important in recognizing who you are, knowing what you are and sticking to your true colors. Yeah. Perfectly said. I mean, the true test of someone is adversity. I I, I say this a lot, you know, how are we going to handle it? A lot of us could have gone, and it's it's hard. It's easy to go south and, and be negative, but I think that uh, this, like you said, and I'm glad to see you grow. So the Shukri Writes podcast is use Anchor like I do, which I love, and I promote yeah. it, and I run that same spot you do at the beginning. Absolutely, and, and it goes to all the platforms. You're on a 91.5 FM, 100.1 in Boston. Know your rights. What a, I mean, you talk about a home run uh, title for your show, huh? <laughs> I like that. It's like Thank behind you. the mic. Know I, I, your rights. I like that. <laughs> I, I sincerely appreciate that. Thank you. Um, you know what's funny? When I was thinking about the title for my second radio show, um, uh, before I even get to that, there's a little bit of a story that goes behind that because the show started back in September, and it's crazy to think that it's only been five months, but it feels like it has been a lot longer. And I was at a point where I said, you know, I really miss doing live radio shows. I don't know what's available right now. And I'm still working on, you know, building my platform, building my career as I advance and move along. And I say, hmm, what college radio station is doing or allowing community members to to join and so forth? So I said, you know. Let me look into 100.1 FM WBRS. And I looked into it and I reached out. And thankfully, the executive board um, of that station was more than gracious enough for me to have my own radio show. And I said, no, this is this is live. You're you're going to be doing this uh, via the Zoom broadcast that the, stu- that the station allows and so forth. And I couldn't have been more thrilled. I was like, you know what? This is phenomenal because live allows me to you know, not have the safety net of you can pause and then go back and edit and then continue, but rather being being aware, being super aware of what you're saying, how you're delivering it in that particular moment. So when I was thinking about a title for the show, I was saying, you know, I wanted to be something that is both unique and authentic. Yeah. And I said, hmm. My last name is Wrights, and we and we were still just coming off of the big social movement in a country in which that, that 
you talk about Black Lives Matter and so forth. Yeah. I said, you know, why not know your rights, but know your WRIGCS? And yeah. that's how the title came about. It's terrific. It really is. I love it. I think it. Thank you. Because your last name, it, it can have a few different meanings. Like you said, you know, I, that's really, really cool. So I agree with you about being live. I feel like this is live, even though it's not, but mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know what it is when you do something live. There's a, I, I just, it's hard to record. It's like practicing for sports. I probably was, you know, not great a practice player, but I mm. live is awesome It because it's, um, there's adrenaline with it. Oh yeah. And like, there's, there's adrenaline that goes with it. And then there's also that factor of whatever you say, you can, but you can't run back to erase it. You no. know what I'm saying? So like with, with play-by-play broadcasting, you could better speak on it than I could. Where play-by-play broadcasting, when you're doing it live, you're you're basically narrating what's happening as it's happening in, in real-time action. Yeah. And, and when you're doing a, a, a sports talk radio show or any radio show, with, with, regardless of what format it is live, it's, okay, this is what's happening. This is what I'm going to do. And, but in sports, this is because this is what we both are experts in. In sports, it's like, okay, you are – you are talking about a particular subject matter. And when it's, it's live, you have the ability to drive the ship, if you will. Yeah. And when, and like one of the positives about doing live radio or even live recording or broadcasts and so forth is that it gives you the ability to, at least for me, it allows me to really just hyper focus in on what's being talked about, what's being asked of me and so forth, whether it be a caller or a guest that I'm interviewing, or or in this case, you are the host, I, I am the guest, and it allows me to just really focus on what is being said, how am I delivering it, and as well as for those that are going to be watching and listening to this podcast later on. Yeah, this the sports talk landscape, though, has, it's changed a bit where it's, be, it's becoming the, the hot take machine, hasn't it? I knew you have a good style the way you you do it and you do it right. But I worry about younger people getting in thinking that they need to do that because there are big hosts in our business that are doing well. But I don't know if that Mm -hmm. formula is easily duplicated. You can be, you know, Mike Reese does it right. And he's got almost 400,000 followers on Twitter. You know, you don't have to be Mr. Negative and controversial to, to, to get listeners, you know, but I get it. I get why people do it. I don't love like it. One of, the, <laughs> one of the things about like, about like sports radio, and I've learned this in my own journey, is that, listen, it's easy to be, the, be Mr. Negative. Yeah. I mean, let's be, let, let's be real. In our region, because we're both in, in greater Boston, in, here in New England, we know of 98.5 The Sports Up. We're just using it as an example. We know of, you know, certain hosts who are, who's, stick is to to piss you off and to call in and and so forth most notably last week and i did a um a segment on this on on my radio show in which that tony maserati called david posenek the the right winger for the boston Bruins, overrated and i and i damn near choked on my food when i heard this yeah and i'm like you talk about riding up the bruins fan base but also like are you serious I like Pasternak is actually, yeah, Pasternak is one of the best young wingers in the league. Or you are like, come on, like, I, at risk of cursing, which I'm not going to do, 
I said, you know what? Now, this is precisely why I chose for me that my style wasn't going to be negative. Am I going to be passionate? You, you bet you bet your rear end that I am. Yeah. Am I going to speak what's on my mind? Absolutely. But am I also going to be authentic and real? Yes. Because to your point, the younger generation that's going to be coming in like behind us, they feel that, well, we, ha- we have to try to be um, the, the Colin Cowherds of the world or we have to try to be the Mike Felgers of the world and or, 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 the, or the, the Christopher Mad Dog Russo's of the world. No. One of the best advice that I've ever gotten in my career so far is be yourself. Yes. And I had, a, I had an, an opportunity to interview and speak with Bach McElligot. He's the radio play-by-play voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And he gave me this advice. That he said, you know, dude, be yourself. Yeah. Don't try to be anyone else. Like you, your voice is authentic already as is. Who you are and your authenticity speaks volumes as to who you are, how you represent yourself. If you're trying to emulate what some Joe Stick may be trying to do on radio, you're going to fall flat on your face. Just because it may work for everyone else doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for you. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, one of the beautiful things about radio is finding your niche, finding out what works for you, finding out who and what you are, how do you present yourself and sticking with it. Yeah. Don't worry about trying to fit, about trying to fit in. And I think it comes back down to this, this important factor here. And that is when you are comfortable in your own skin, you're not worried about the, the, the critics because you're going to have critics period. That's a fact in this, in this business, you're going to have critics, but when you know how to be comfortable in your own skin and what's your style and what's your approach, none of that matters. No. And, and you're, you end up walking away being more successful than you realize. I agree with you. And you know, do you, you probably don't know Bob and I are, are best friends. Wow. Really? Bob gave me my first job in baseball in 1997. Oh, that's amazing. Oh yeah. My and God. I just talked to him two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. How is he doing? He's great. I saw that you had him, that you talked to him and I, and I was going to yeah. bring that up. Yeah. We're, we've been close since then. Yeah, he gave me my first shot. Yeah. That's amazing. He's a terrific wow, world. person to get advice from. Yeah. He's my Absolutely. mentor. So yeah. Wow. That, yeah. That's amazing. Like I, I can't help but to smile because in speaking with them and and I and now that I'm talking about it, I'm probably going to go back and listen to that interview just just because like I got a real sense of authenticity I, and I I'm well aware of his story you know working his way up from like doing calling minor league hockey games to yeah. to now doing like NHL games for the Columbus Blue Jackets and so forth and the thing that stood out to me when speaking to him was just how real he was oh yeah like he's he real wasn't like he wasn't one of those guys that oh like I'm just I'm a I'm a play by play broadcaster of an NHL team I'm just gonna you know have this this aura of an of an ego and pump my nose high into the air it wasn't any of that yeah. it really was just like like hey we're we're having a conversation like we're we're talking hockey we both love hockey and. And, you know, I'll ask him questions about the team. I was asking him about in that interview. I was asking him about Pierre Luc Dubois, who has been since traded to Winnipeg in the in a Patrick Laine deal. So it's it's that authenticity that I really strive for, and, and wish that 
and I want to make mention of this important key here. You don't know who's listening or watching. You don't know who you're impacting. And some kid is watching you or watching I saying that, you know, I want to do what he does one day. And you know what? What I noticed that he does something different, but in a good way, apart from what everyone else is doing. And I admire that because in today's world with social media, with Twitter, with YouTube, you know, Facebook, all that fun stuff. It's so easy to say and fall into the trap of, damn, I got to I got to be like him. I want to be like him. It's like, no, you don't have to No, learn to create your own style and be comfortable within your own skin and excelling in that. Yeah, it's called on air talent. If we all tried to strive to be one there would be too many duplicates. That's how you have to think of it too. If you're going yeah. to try to be that next guy, you know, and you brought some of those, those guys up. I mean, Chris Mad Dog Russo, you know, he has that accent, you know, he doesn't sound like a traditional broadcaster, but he's got mm-hmm. something that makes him stand out, you know, to your point. And I, I agree with yeah. you. Uh, National, how'd you get that? The Pacifica radio network. That's a cool thing that you're on. Uh, th- thank you. Uh, first and foremost, um, I'm grateful to the almighty for that. Um, n- number one, whew, wow. Um, one day I was, I was just, just doing some thinking. I said, you know, I want to get more experience and I want to really expand and really put my, my own air work on a national platform, but I wasn't sure how. Um, one of my good friends by the, by the name of Jake Asman, you, you may have heard of him. He he does absolutely phenomenal work on for sports map radio network in Houston, had him on the podcast, uh, late, late last year, sometime back in the spring, summer. I remember reading somewhere about the power of syndication. And I was like, huh? I wonder how do you become a national syndicated radio host? Because there's there's not a whole lot of them out there, yeah. regardless whether it's at Pacifica or even um, on a national radio network like ESPN Radio, CBS Sports Radio, or Fox Sports Radio, and so forth. So I decided to look into Pacifica Radio Network. One, it wasn't the first time I've heard about Pacifica Radio Network. Pacifica Radio Network has been around... <laughs> I mean, probably as long as I've been alive. And number one, in New York, they have, New York is the media capital of the world. They have their affiliate WBAI, which I grew up listening to. Yeah. And so I was already very aware about Pacifica. So I said, you know, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to go and try to reach out to who I need to reach out to and, and and see where it goes. So I made the connection and... And I said, hey, listen, I'm interested in becoming a national radio broadcaster. Um, like, here's my on, on-air work that I've done locally here in Boston and so forth. I, I would like for, to have this opportunity. And it, it wasn't handed to me. I was scrutinized. <laughs> Honestly, I was scrutinized. I had to explain that given that this isn't a commercialized radio network, how are you going to do your shows? How are you going to format your shows? Given that, yeah. what is your show going to be about? I was put through the ringer. And ultimately, she ended up liking what I what I presented. And 
through my on-air work, and she blessed me with the opportunity to to have this on uh, the national uh, platform that I have now, and I'm I'm very fortunate and blessed. That's great. And you could just go to Pacifica Radio Network on you could just Google it, right? I I found it by googling yeah. it. Yep. Yeah, Easy. and and also, and I I will put this out there that I also put all radio broadcasts and recordings of the show on the Sucrest podcast, which is on iHeartRadio and wherever yep. you get your podcasts as well. So that's another way that you could you'll be able to um, to listen to it as well. Yeah, and we're gonna in the body we're gonna have all the your links. That's so we can point everyone to where you're yeah. at. So. Yeah. I'm so intrigued by a New Yorker that's in Boston. I think that's great. I always had an idea for a reality show that for a summer, the Red Sox and Yankees switch fan, like a fan had to be a Yankee fan, but nobody, you know, they went to every game and just see how, (laughs) what would happen after that summer? Would you have respect or would you still have the hate? I think you would have respect if you switched because I don't hate the Yankees from working in baseball because I get to see a lot of things from ground zero and they're, they're incredible. I mean, their organization's incredible. So how did you get here? That's what we want to know. How did I get here to Boston? Not literally. I know you probably took a, did you take a train or you drove here? <laughs> yeah. That would have been a great answer. Oh, uh, well I did, but, but how did I get to Boston? I think, um, I think it's a story that I think people would, could really appreciate or grow to appreciate with time. And I'm glad that you asked um, yeah. because I want, I want to tell the story in its entirety. So it started in May of 2014. Um, and I remember, I remember this clear as day. Like now I was, I was uh, dating someone at the time and they didn't work out, but they had claimed and said that they had ovarian cancer. And it was, it was gut-wrenching to hear. Like, I mean, especially if someone that, that you're with has cancer, yeah. you want to try to be as supportive as possible. So I made a point and a promise that I was going to come up to Boston and see her and see her in the hospital after on um, post-surgery. My sister, my younger sister, she had just graduated college that same day as surgery. So I couldn't be there like in the immediate aftermath. So I made a promise. I was going to go up there the following uh, Monday. And I did. And the first time I was in Boston, I'll never forget it. Um, I was just mesmerized walking around South Station. And it sounds crazy because living here long enough, it's like, wait, South Station, I don't see anything special about it. But given that it was the first time in Boston for me ever, it was like, oh, wow, this is different. Um, yeah. And I remember walking through um, South Station on the platform where the commuter rail is. Yep. And I remember walking um, through this terminal down down into the red line and making my way over to to Fenway and I remember thinking this is different like this is so cool and seeing Fenway for the first time um and I ended up going up there for only, for only just that day but I remember saying to myself I'm going to come back I don't know when or how but I'm going to come back so I ended up returning in January for um for an overnight stay um, I came, ironically enough, it was the same day as the Patriots and Ravens AOC Divisional Game 2014. Um, it was a Saturday, and I'll never forget this. I was walking through, uh, not, it was on the North End, but it was right by Haymarket. I was walking past, like, the, the whole legion of, like, sports bars and pubs. They all got the Pats game on. And I remember this place is a crowd. And that weekend, it was 
brutally cold. I'll never forget walking in just the ice. And there was, by the way, it was the same winter that this region got slammed with consecutive um, oh, blizzards yeah. like that. Yeah. It was winter of 14, 15. Yep. It's like every two and, weeks we're getting like a foot. Oh, snow. yeah. I, I remember it quite well because I, yeah. I was a visitor at the time. And I remember like I was like, yo, this is cold. Like, goodness grief. So it was through that experience that made me look at Boston extremely differently. Now, being from New York, you're taught to hate Boston, hate all things Boston. But I'd be the first to admit that something began to change. Yeah. And I was like, there's something different about the city that's unlike any other major city that I've ever been to. But I couldn't help but I started to really like it. But now I left and I came back in March of 2015. And I went to my first ever Boston sporting event that day. It was March 12, 2015. I went to a Bruins game at the Garden. It was against the Tampa Bay Lightning, the eventual Eastern Conference champions. And I remember just I was just in awe. Like this place was sold out, packed. I mean, Bruin fans are absolutely incredible in this city, in this region. And going to my first Bruins game that that night was something I'll never forget. And I ended up coming back to Boston throughout the summer of 2015. But then August 2015, I, I really um, it really hit me that I fell in love with Boston and I actually started shedding a tear um, <laughs> when I was leaving because I was like, damn, do I have to leave? And then yeah. my best friend was like, why don't you just move there? I was like, you know what? I'm going to do exactly just that. So I started working on the process and the process took me a year and a half and it was not easy at all. Cause one, I didn't know anybody that lived in Boston at the time just yet, but that changed in April of 2016 when I met uh, one of my dearest friends from high school, who was practically family to me at this point his brother and his girlfriend, who is now his wife, um, they invited me out to dinner in Watertown. And we went out to dinner and he was giving me advice. He was like, listen, here's my advice for you. When you, like, when you do move here, live in an area that you're going to be able to like afford and, and like, don't try to live beyond what you can afford. And just listening to all of his advice, I really took it to heart. And from there, it just, I said, I want to move here in the summer. It didn't work. It didn't work out. I was pissed. I mean, I was mm. pissed. I was just like, damn. And I came back to visit, I believe it was July. Yeah, it was July of 16. And I was just like, I should be living here. But August 16 came around. I said, something happened. It was one afternoon. I had a notebook. And I would tell this to anybody uh, as a life lesson and advice. If you ever have goals, write them down yeah good idea it's I, and i'm serious because it works but you have to put in the work yeah but something told me go get a notebook write down what you want for yourself over the course of the next six months i did exactly that went in the room opened the book wrote down i want to move to boston when i want to move here in january plan b that doesn't work i want to move here in february if that doesn't work what's your plan c spring if plan D, if it wasn't going to work, when summer, but I had, but I wrote it down and I, and I started working on that plan. Now, this is the craziest part of my journey to Boston, September, 2016 rolls around. And at that point, schools had just opened up again. Now I'm living in Philadelphia. I'm no longer living in New York. I moved, I left New York for good in August 16. Yep. And now my job is still in New York, but I'm commuting from Philadelphia to New York. 
so to go to work. So now I'm waking up at three o'clock in the morning to go to work. So oh. I'm waking up that early to hop on the train, to hop on the scepter, to take it to New Jersey Transit, transfer in Trenton, take New Jersey Transit train to New York. And I, through the course of time, I, I kind of learned to tweak my, my commute a little bit. But, but nonetheless, I was waking up as early as three o'clock in the morning to go to work Monday through Friday. I'll get home around average about 730 at night, 745, wake up 3 a.m. the next morning, do it all over again. So I now my mom gives me an advice. Why don't you just get a second job, you know, like to help you like build up that build up that money. I'm like, you know, you're right. So I got a second job working weekends, Saturdays and Sundays from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Wow. Working, working as a valet at a hospital. Yes. So now, mind you, I'm working Monday through Friday, commuting from Philadelphia to New York, New York to Philly back. And now Saturdays, I'm working weekends from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Sundays. So now I have no social life. No. Literally zero. Because I was so fixated and focused on making the move to Boston because I knew that making the move to Boston would absolutely give me the best chance to really launch my radio career that, that I've so dreamed of doing, but I just, just didn't know how I didn't know what to do. So by this point, November, I am tired, like physically tired, emotionally tired. As you can imagine getting up at three o'clock in the morning, three 30, by that point it's like four o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. I get home one night. My best friend is like, remember why you're doing this shit? No one told you you had to do this, yep. but you want, but you want something bad enough. You're working towards it. Don't give up now because you're already in the process. And it was all I needed to hear. So I kept working and I applied for a job with WGBH at that time. This was December, no, November, 2016. Sorry. I got a call for an interview early December. And I said, listen, I'm in New York right now. I'm working. But can I plan this for right after Christmas, the week at the week of Christmas? Like that, because that year I remember Christmas was on a Sunday. It was on a Sunday. I'll never forget this because I took Amtrak up from Philly. And in Boston, everything was closed. Of course. Forget about trying to go pick up some pick some pickup food or or whatever. Like that wasn't happening. That wasn't an option. I was like, what the hell am I gonna eat? Like there's nothing open except a 7-Eleven. I mean, I don't, even, I don't even remember if Dunks was even open. Dunks was probably closed. Wow. But, um, <laughs> but um, now I go up there. I, get, I do the interview. I get offered the job right on the spot. And I remember just feeling like, wow, okay. It worked. Yeah. It worked and it, it's happening. Now, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So I got asked the golden question, when do you want to start? I said, okay, Um. I could have started in January, but for some reason, something told me she'll go for February. So I went for February. I said, February, we're going to do it because I'll give me another month to like work, 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 build up that money and, and so forth. So I did exactly that. February 14th was my last day working in New York. By this point, the, the, the old job that I was working at um, in, in New York, the school building, they knew that I was leaving and that I was going to move to Boston. My student, I was a one-to-one paraprofessional once upon a time working with special education students, especially with children with uh, learning disabilities. And my student came up to me and was like, please don't leave Mr. Wright. And that broke my heart. I bet, yeah. that, that really sincerely broke my heart. It was like, I'm, I'm moving because I have a dream, but it's like, what do I do? 
Like I, I can't, I can't tell a kid like, no, goodbye. Get out of my face. Like, no, like, cause I built a relationship with this, with, with this young, with this young child. So after that, I got home, my bags were already packed. My mom was on the phone with my uncle and I, I got pretty emotional because it was like this process that started in August, 2015. And here we are February 14th, 2017. It's happening. It's yes. here. And that goal became reality. And my mom expressed to me how proud of me she was and still is. And, um, and it, and it really, it, it really like gave me the push that final push that I needed. And I said, listen, I'll be back to visit. Don't worry about that. Please don't seriously. And I left the house maybe about an hour or two after I got back in from New York and and that's how I uh, in, ended up here in Boston on February 15th, 2017. And it's only eight days removed from the, uh, from, yeah. from the anniversary of moving here. Well, I'm so glad you did it. And what's great about it's hard. I mean, I've moved a lot. It's, it stinks. Um, yeah. You have to think like you have one shot at this in life and that mm-hmm. you're very passionate. And if you, you probably would regret if you didn't pursue this. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. you, you know, you know, you know, you know what's funny, and I want to share this because I want this. I really want this to to permeate with whoever is listening and whoever's going to be watching. One of the things that I've really made it a point of is that I want my story to truly be a source of inspiration. Yes. That that more than anything else, that like this is a man that has a dream, and he's working hard on his dream, and, and while he is where he is now. He doesn't take it for granted, nor is he satisfied, but he's still working, working, working his, his tail off, you know, every single day, one way or another. So in April of 2012, I was still an undergrad student at Long Island University. Um, I was a journalism major in, in college. My father at that time was recovering from a near fatal stroke. Um, true story, which he sustained um, nine years ago this month. Wow. And I'll never forget something that he told me. He said, you know, Shukri. You may have to leave New York if you want to start your radio career. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Don't limit yourself to just New York. New yeah. York is always going to be here. Yep. But don't limit there because remember, you, you started with no experience. You may have to go elsewhere. And I'll never forget that because I never would have thought at that time in a million years that Boston would be my first, my first home away from home. Never would have imagined. No. Like that's, it's just crazy to go goes to show like how life works sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I noticed that you, you worked at the garden, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, you know, when I was a kid at the old, I mean, I love the old garden. I yeah. always loved when they did that. You, like, so you changed the, like you worked on that crew, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was part of the, the, the bull gang, which in which that I worked um, changing like the, for the, the arena from hockey to basketball, yeah. you know, putting down the subfloor on top of the ice and, you know, putting down the parquet. I, I remember just ha- the first time I did it, I was in utter awe. I can imagine. Where it was like, <laughs> the most, uh, wait a minute, this is the parquet. Like, yeah, this is the actual parquet that yep. the Celtics have been playing on since the, since the old days of the old Boston garden. And it was just like, it was just amazing. I mean, like it wasn't the exact same one from the old Boston Garden, but but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. But like, but it was just like amazing when I would share photos and videos on on Facebook and social media. My friends would be just be amazing. Like, dude, like how cool is that? I'm like, you're like you, you, I was like, yeah. 
I, it gives me a different level of appreciation while people don't know and understand what goes on when the doors close, when the fans leave the arena, when we when we're doing changeovers and how it all works and so forth. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure other cities have similar things, but yeah. in my experiences, Boston has things that like the wall, like that, what that mm-hmm. means to people. I don't know if there's a lot of other, I, I mean, I, you know, I'd have to obviously think there's so many new ballparks now, but like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's the little sub character in a movie, <laughs> you know, the yeah. parquet floor like that when we were growing up. That was huge for people, not, you know, not just the Celtics, but the floor they played on. Like you would yes. go to a game and be like, wow, that's the, you know, and if they were passionate about the, the, maybe the quirkiest things, but that's what I think makes Absolutely. it so special. It's the whole, I tell people this with, um, you know, the Red Sox influenced me to get in what I got into and it wasn't just sure. the game. It was the whole experience. It was going to Yaki way. It was the panhandlers it was the people selling the peanuts. It was the smells, the sights. It's the whole friggin' oh, thing, yeah. you know. And I, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm the old Yankee Stadium. Definitely had the same, same. Oh vibe, man, Ooh. you know. Oh, oh, without question. You know, you know something, Mike. Growing up in New York, and I tell people this all the time. If you didn't grow up in New York or in the New York metropolitan area, I I really feel like you missed out on what truly was a gym of a lifetime oh, that yeah. was old that was old yankee stadium yeah. and like for me i still vividly remember the childhood memories of watching the yankees go on deep championship runs in october at old yankee stadium and just seeing fans of 55 to fifty-eight thousand people at old yankee stadium just just go absolutely berserk and my my indelible memory of old yankee stadium is always going to be this is always going to be game five, 2001 World Series. And I still tell people this, it's wholeheartedly the best World Series I've ever seen in my life, hands down, even though the Yankees lost. Without question, the best World Series I've seen in my lifetime. The, sec- the second best, I would say, the 2016 World Series. But 2001. Yeah. Because as for all of us that are old enough to remember, and, it's, and, it's, and it blows my mind that we're going to have 21-year-olds that's going to be walking around, that's walking around right now that have absolutely no memory of 9-11 whatsoever. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. 9-11 at that time in this country, and you understand it just as, just as much as I do, but especially me being, having, being in New York that day in school when the attacks were unfolding, I remember just how much New York was reeling, how much this country was reeling. I remember especially in New York in particular, Shea Stadium became an important site to help with the with the recovery efforts at, at the World Trade Center site and as well as old Yankee Stadium. Now, this is something that stands out in my memory. I remember watching this at home and the old uh, UPN9, which is now, um, which is which is now has changed networks. I remember George Steinbrenner, the late George Steinbrenner, he turned old Yankee Stadium into a multi-faith, um, congregational site yeah. where they did a special service. I think it was, this was like about a week and a half, two weeks after 9-11. I remember this was a time that we, as people needed to come together, that yep. we needed to come together as human beings and realize that what happened was truly horrific. It's something that even 
later this year we're gonna celebrate 20 years down on 20 years of um uh, after 9-11 of the 9-11 anniversary but it was something that even now when i think about it, i get chills and i go back to that night of game five of 2001 or world series this was uh less than two months after 9-11 yankees are down two nothing and brocious hits the home run that ties it in the bottom of the ninth Yep. And I'll never forget watching that game on Fox, like just seeing Yankee Stadium just just go into a complete scene that I'm gonna try my best to explain this and paint the picture. Like it's like almost like watching a wave, yeah, like a wave that you just cannot explain. Like because the night before, Tino Martinez had done it in the bottom of the night against the same pitcher, Kim, young right? young Kim, yeah. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. But the following night. It was like, there's no way this can happen again. No bats back nights. There's no way. And it happened. So that for me is always going to be the most indelible memory. And you mentioned about Fenway Park. There's, I was talking about this on, on the Know Your Right show, which I did earlier today, in which that there's something about Fenway I genuinely miss. The last game at Fenway that I went to was September 6th of 19. It was Yankees-Red Sox. It was a Friday night game. Went there. And, and like, as always, it never failed. Crowd was electric. Yeah. Just absolutely into the game. Although although the Red Sox, they were falling out of contention for, for a postseason spot at that time. But just the energy and the smell of the hot dogs and the smell yeah. of beer in the ballpark, like the smell of peanuts. Like I miss that genuinely so much. And I'm not even a Red Sox fan, but I miss that. Yeah. And then and then like lastly, the the quirkiness, the green monster. Can you imagine Fenway Park without the Green Monster? No. It's just, it's just impossible. It's like, no, that's synonymous with the Red Sox. It's been synonymous with the Red Sox for God knows how long. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm pretty sure I was at the game the next day. It was a, it was a Saturday afternoon game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. For, yeah, I remember I, that. Yes, mm-hmm. I was at that game. I because that's when JD Martinez like intentionally um, hit a girl on the chest. Yeah, I remember. Oh, God. But I didn't know that happened until <laughs> later. And I was sitting down that right field. It was a terrible, wow. it was a terrible yeah. game. The Sox were. It, it, yeah. yeah. But but I was also the same game, if my memory serves me correctly. John Carlos Stanton hits a bomb into, into the monster seats. Yes. This fan has an arm of, I don't know, some sort of myth, some Greek mytholo- mythological yeah. figure or whatever. Throws it back into the infield on the fly, hitting John Carlos Stanton, and I and I'm like, did he just do what I think he just did? Yeah, and it was just like, no, yeah, it's crazy. he did. It was just like, this is crazy. I just missed that. Yeah, no, I know. It's it's special. So let me ask you. Speaking of that, who who would you say your best interviews been? I know you get to interview Cedric Maxwell, which was cool. Oh, that 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 was amazing. Wow. Um. Maybe Bob, <laughs> my, my, my best Bob, Bob is up there. Yeah. But you're asking me to pick between, oh man, because I've, I've been fortunate. I've been very blessed to, to have interviewed some really, some really outstanding guests. I interviewed Brian Anderson at one point, a play-by-play voice of the Milwaukee Brewers yeah. and the NBA and TNT, the MLB on TBS as well. Um, Bob, Bob McElligot as well. I interviewed, I also interviewed um, Cedric Maxwell as well. I interviewed Hall of Famer Grant Fuhrer. But honestly, I'm actually going to go with not, not someone who, who's in the industry, hmm. but I'm actually going to go with Grant Fuhrer for this reason. 
because there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things. And I, and I sent out a tweet about this. I don't remember how long ago, but it was earlier this month. This is Black History Month. And in the NHL, I think the NHL has done a really great job with this in, in like honoring the contribution that, that, that Black athletes uh, have made to hockey. We all know about Willie O'Ree, the first Black hockey player yeah. to ever um, play um, for the, in the NHL. He played for the Boston Bruins, and his number 22 is going to be retired uh, next year uh, when, uh, when we can have full arenas again and so forth. And But interviewing the first black hockey players to be inducted into the hall of fame was something special. I can imagine. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. Just, I just wanted to know so much about his story, his story from growing up in Canada uh, to playing hockey and his time with the, 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 the great Edmonton Oiler dynasty that was in the eighties and, and, and as well as 1990, you talk about, you know, he played with the likes of, uh, Mark Messier, uh, Paul Coffey, obviously Wing Gretzky. We, yeah. we talk about uh, like just the legends that they had, and you know, like Glenn Anderson as well. And but just hearing about his stories of being the goaltender that was the glue of it all. You're talking about what was deemed as at that time the most dominant goaltender in the NHL at that time in the, in, in the mid eighties, he was that, he was that guy. Oh, yeah. And it was just amazing just to talk to him and hear, hear about his story and, you know, about when he got inducted and it was just amazing just to have the opportunity to talk to him. I think that I have to go with in terms of former athlete, I got to go with Grant Fuhrer, no question. Awesome. You know, it's funny. Cause my, Last question was going to be, since we're recording this in February, what does Black History Month mean to you? And I I will say that uh, over time, I love how much it's grown, how much we've honored people and in every walk of life, Shukri, because I think it's important to do that. For sure. And and it's a great question, because what it means to me is that Black History Month is not just relegated to February. It's it's all year round. I mean, it could be June and we could be talking about um, like Jackie Robinson. We can be we talk about. Jackie Robinson, like every April 15th um, around Major League Baseball, him being the first African-American to play in the major leagues. And, you know, black history is American history. There's, yes. no, get, there's no getting around it. And, and, and I think Major League Baseball finally came to its senses. And for them to finally incorporate the records from the Negro Leagues as officially part of the Major League Baseball record book, I thought that was powerful because, number one, Unfortunately, we lived in a time in which that racism was the norm. Sure. African-Americans were not allowed to play Major League Baseball. So you have legends like Babe Ruth or um, Joe DiMaggio or Jimmy Fox or or like, you know, like just like Spud Chandler or like you, you have these guys going up against their fellow counterparts, but they didn't really compete against the best of the best like. Like, like like a John Gibson or Cool Papa Bell or Satchel Paige. Satchel Paige, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, like or, or 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 Oscar or Oscar Robertson, another guy yeah. that I think as baseball fans we sh- we all should know. Sure. I think it's tremendous because it gives people the opportunity to learn about the Negro Leagues, and that you want to talk about competition. There was the best of the best that never got the chance to play, and and sadly we just lost Henry Aaron 
just mm. less less than a month ago. We just he just passed away. His career started in 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 the Negro leagues, if you will, and you talk about you think about guys like Willie Mays, Henry Aaron, like those men are not where they are without without the contributions of Jackie Robinson, without question. And that's why I, I strongly True. feel that. And that's just only in sports we're talking about. We didn't, I didn't even talk about Chuck Cooper, first first black player to play in the NBA. I didn't even talk about – I talked about Willie O'Ree a little earlier. You know, like I just strongly feel that black history isn't just only relegated. It should not be only be relegated to February, but rather it's, it's year-round because the contributions were just not only in February, but throughout – the entire year in which that is left an indelible mark on our lives. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Aaron and Mays, they are two guys that I think have stood the test of time when we, you know, it's easy to say now this is the greatest player of all time every like 20 years. But now when you, when you look back at what Henry Aaron and Mays did, I mean, Aaron never hit 50 home runs and still hit 700. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, Like, I don't think people realize how good, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) It blew my mind because, like, the day that he passed, and I, they were talking about this on MLB Network, and I was like, "Wait, you never hit 50 homers in the season?" Crazy, like, no. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow!" Like, you talk about the longevity of the consistency, consistency, and the part that 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 really spoke volumes about his greatness is this: Henry Aaron had over 3,700 hits in his career. If I, remember, if, if I believe correctly, I think 3,771 to be exact. You take out his 755 home runs, you still have over 3,000 hits. Yeah. Which spoke volumes about why he was a firm believer in hitting the ball the opposite way, going the other way, not just only being a pull hitter. And 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 he talked about like like who his favorite hitter was, like to to watch hit because he wasn't a guy that just was a pure pull hitter. He's a guy that can go all the all the all fields and hit for power. I love the story on his passion to come back to Boston. How about waking up at 3 to 3.30 in the morning to take a train into the city to work, to make money, to live here in New England? I'm in Grafton, Mass. He's living in Boston. Shukri Wrights is the man. Give him a follow, at Shukri Wrights on Twitter. And that is episode 66 of the podcast. Powered by Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Check it all out. Episode 67 is next week with Corey Geiger. Corey is in the Penn State area, and uh, so we go from radio to newspaper. You're going to like episode 67. Hope you like 66. I hope you like 1 through 66. If you don't, uh, I can bribe you. But uh, share the love. Like the podcast. Subscribe. Hope you uh, have a great week. And as always, peace and love. 